my indication is towards Nepal as a transit point between India and China. And this is the point I'm really interested in. Tourism is a pillar industry of Nepal's economy. And China is the second largest source of tourists to Nepal for the past five years. We trust that uh, railway will greatly promote the exchanges between the peoples of these two countries. So more and more Chinese tourists will come to Nepal, which by this Nepal can just uh, reduce its imbalance or trade uh, deficit from this. That's important point to understand that even if financially China was to literally gift it to Kathmandu, what cost does it still have in that sense? For example, the kind of uh, relation that uh, India has with Nepal. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tu Ying. Joining our discussion on the China-Nepal Railway Plan are Associate Professor Nimesh Salik from the International Business School, Suzhou, Xi'an Jiaotong, Liverpool University, who's also serving as Associate Dean for Learning and Teaching. Dr. Swaran Singh, Visiting Professor, Department of Political Science, University of British Columbia, Vancouver and Professor Dai Yunghong, Dean of School of Foreign Languages and Institute of Area and International Communication, Shenzhen University. Welcome to you all. We know China and Nepal have agreed to build a trans-Himalayan multi-dimensional connectivity network, and the focus is the Nepal-China Railway, which is believed to be the toughest rail route in the world. Before we dive into the details of the plan, I'd like to share my initial reaction. In fact, this was a reaction of many Chinese upon hearing about the railway project. It reminded many of us of a 1998 Chinese romantic comedy called Bujian Busan, or Be There or Be Square. There's a scene where the leading actor tells the actress about his ambition to open a 50-kilometer-wide hole in the Himalayas and for the warm and humid air of the Indian Ocean to turn the cold and the drought-stricken Qinghai-Tibet plateau into a land of fish and rice. So at that time, everybody took it as a joke or, or some fantasy. But now it seems um, some people are committed to turning this fantasy into reality. So let me first start with uh, Professor Dai. How feasible is the plan? Yes. The feasibility study was officially launched in 2019, but it seems the progress has been slow. And uh, Professor Dai, I understand you have a uh, related experience and, and quite familiar with the construction work um, in, in Nepal. Thank you. So in order to understand this uh, feasibility of this uh, proposed plan, we need to understand it uh, from a multidisciplined or dimensional discipline perspective. As we know that Nepal is a landlocked, multi-ethnic, multi-lingual, multi-religious country, and Nepal is situated north of India and south of China in the Himalayas. The first point I want to stress is this plan actually is the common aspiration of China and Nepal in 1973. Chairman Mao Zedong once said, China would build the Qinghai-Tibet railway to Lhasa, which would eventually reach Kathmandu someday. 
So in 2014, China and Nepal reached an agreement on the extension of the Qinghai Tibet Railway from Chikate to China and Nepal border. On 21st June 2018, China and Nepal signed an MOU on cooperation in railway project. And His Excellency President Xi Jinping of the People's Republic of China paid a state visit to Nepal from 12 to 13 October 2019. Yeah, yeah. Which, Professor Dai, uh, those are yeah. the willingness or goodwill wish um, from both sides. But we're, we're talking about the feasibility. How feasible is the plan? Yeah, feasibility. First, you have to have a mutual agreement. You have to have a common consensus mm -hmm. in order to make it possible. About the preparations we have done, I would like to explain a few points. Since 2017, the National Development and Reform Commission of China and China Railway Group and other relevant organizations have actively promoted the preliminary research work of mm -hmm. China Nepal cross-border railway and carry out a number of special studies in engineering, technology, geology, and other aspects. So in December 2018, the pre-feasibility study scheme of China Nepal Railway was jointly reviewed by the government departments of China and Nepal. And on November 21st, 2019, the launch meeting of the feasibility study of the Chikate Kilo section of the cross-border railway was held. On November 26, 2020, the National Railway Administration of China and the Ministry of Infrastructure and Transport of Nepal held the sixth working meeting on China-Nepal Railway Cooperation to discuss the feasibility study of the railway and exchange views on railway cooperation issues such as the technology exchange and personnel training. And the latest development is that the National Railway Administration of China and Ministry of Infrastructure and Transport of Nepal held the seventh working meeting on the railway cooperation. So all these has demonstrated it is feasible in this top level aspiration and but, also preparation stuff. Mm. It's, yes. it's, it's of the world's toughest railroad. So to your knowledge, there is no problem to build such a railway via the mountain mountainous areas. So you, you have no yes. doubt about and, uh, the ability. Regarding this specific technical feasibility, first, China has the experience of constructing railway on the high altitude area. The Qinghai Tibetan Railway and the Lhasa Ninzi Railway have been completed. And the Sichuan Tibetan Railway is also under construction. In this case, challenging China Nepal cross border railway is not an impossible task. Second, mm -hmm. regarding this finance, China will use aid funds for Nepal to support the feasibility study. And lastly, about this road selection. As the world's toughest railroad, as you said, China-Nepal cross-border railway is divided into two parts, Lhasa to Kilong, the part in China, and Kilong to Kathmandu, the part in Nepal. Part from Lhasa to Chikate has been finished, and the straight line distance from Chikate to China-Nepal border is about 253 kilometers. From Kilong border to Kathmandu, it's only about 90 kilometers. So the important work for China and Nepal is to discuss and design how to complete the left section. Mm -hmm. It's about nearly 300 kilometers. So actually from Kilong to Kathmandu is about 90 kilometers. So this is a 
my understanding about the feasibilities. So from the top level design to the specific uh, experience, uh, finance, and road selection. Mm, so okay. technically speaking, there is absolutely no problem, according to you, despite this complicated um, geographic situation in that area. Um, Nimesh, I understand that there are already some highways linking Nepal and China. Some people argue the capacity of those uh, railroads haven't been used fully. So why is there a need for a railway? First of all, thank you, uh, Yun Chu and CZTN Radio for inviting me. It's uh, very nice to have both the professors, uh, Professor Dai and Professor Singh over here and to have this chat. Now, um, going to your question on why there is a need of railway, Yes, you're right that there is already a highway, um, two routes, actually. Mm. Uh, nevertheless, there is a very big geographic challenges there, primarily uh, related to landslides, snows, thereby lots of accidents and so forth. One um, very good example is that, let's say, uh, in 2015 earthquake, all of these roads were completely damaged and both of these trade routes have been closed. Indeed, one has been closed until now. So there is only one being open that also partially. So there is a very big vulnerability in this highway. Of course, uh, you do know that this has to go through all the mountainous regions and all, right? So lots of risk and lots of uh, danger as well. Probably that would be the major reason. And of course, secondly, the time required from, for example, Raswagadi border, that is the border between Kirong in China mm. and Raswagadi in Nepal. From Raswagadi to Kathmandu, it will take around two weeks oh. to reach the goods. So that is the other aspect of it. That means for those of the perishable items, we can easily transport if we have this rail link as well. Mm. Now, of course, the question is, well, on what cost, isn't it? Yeah. Huge, huge cost. <laughs> it's very big investment. And as Professor Dai just uh, highlighted, the feasibility in terms of construction. But if I say, let's say, in terms of viability, mm. not only feasibility, in terms of viability, of course, given the estimated cost, we have to think that this project is not for short run, not for medium run. This project is for long run, very long run, right? Even mm. until centuries. So if you think of that viability, then this would make sense that this real project is to be initiated. Just one more point. If we get India to be connected with this, mm. then that will be that will be just awesome, right? The way that we can go through in terms of trade. Now, I would like to talk more about India factor later, further later on, but for time being, I just want to uh, wrap up over here sure. uh, on these certain aspects. Right. Thanks. Professor Singh, from the Indian perspective, who would be the bigger beneficiary of the project or the biggest? if there are other parties to get involved in. Uh, thank you for uh, making me part of uh, today's discussion. Thank you for uh, taking I part. I have known, uh, I have known Professor Tai for a long time. Uh, he's a brilliant scholar <laughs> and knows Nepal very well. And I hold him in great esteem. But what he mentioned uh, in his initial detailed remarks uh, is his mention of aspirations, his mention of Chairman Mao's vision uh, his mention of uh, a feasibility study uh, having been completed uh, starting from 2014 when it was first kind of uh, established as a cooperation between two nations and uh, this year the feasibility uh, he has not shared as yet what that feasibility study says uh, now that's i think the subject of discussion for us today particularly between shigatse and gerong and i think to some extent one could even include gerong to Kathmandu. 
the cost that uh, I have heard of simply uh, uh, rail between Gerung and Kathmandu uh, is supposed to be estimated, uh, and these are initial estimates of 5.5 billion US dollars. And I understand the Nepalese uh, total GDP stands around 32 to 33 billion US dollars. And so, uh, first of all, Nepal has to uh, seriously consider whether the, a, a project of this magnitude is cost effective. Mm. Uh, this is not an impossible. I agree with Professor Dai. This is not impossible. China has established enormous credentials in infrastructure development. And uh, the railway line, uh, which has come all the way to Lhasa and now to Shigatse, is an example of Chinese can achieve such unusual feats in uh, building infrastructure. But uh, I think what we are discussing is not possibility or impossibility, but we are discussing the feasibility. Now, feasibility can be looked on to begin with, as you mentioned, from commercial terms. Now, the total uh, trade uh, that... You're questioning the feasibility, right? No, I'm saying let us look at cost and benefits. And if benefits outweigh the costs, one should definitely go for the project. And one could even ignore uh, environmental, geological, geographical challenges and implications that such a project would have. And let us simply begin by looking at feasibility, which is commercial feasibility, assuming the project is finally achieved. I'm not sure what kind of trade China and Nepal would do uh, between Shigatse, Kerong and uh, Kathmandu, which is uh, the Chinese side is hardly populated. Uh, it's largely a barren piece of land for China. And uh, Nepal is a small economy. And I agree with the, the commentator from Nepal who mentioned that if India joins in, and that's an interesting point that he makes because we have examples of China's enormous, similar, uh, very ambitious projects in Gwadar, in Hambantota, uh, where, of course, India has not uh, agreed to use those ports, and therefore they're absolutely not commercially viable. The Singapore company that had taken Gwadar initially had to run away from there, and now port is being run for 43 years lease uh, with Chinese company. China has taken 99 years of lease of Hambantota, shows that these are possible. Yes, I agree with Professor Tai. These projects are possible that they are not commercially viable. And if they have to be commercially viable, I agree that India has to be fully on board as a partner, minus which these are only white elephants, which are going to drain Chinese economy. And increasingly, citizens are going to ask questions as to what are the per dollar returns for these investments. Now, very quickly, let me also allude to the challenges that we have in terms of geological formation of Himalayas and, of course, geographical difficulties of high altitude, you know, sort of... Uh, completely frost areas where we have seen uh, and we have had reports of how uh, with enormous uh, sacrifices the railway to Lhasa and Shigatse has been built and if China wishes to achieve that feat China is fully capable with deep pockets and its ambition and determination it can achieve that kind of feat definitely uh, except that it will definitely have its implications both for environment geology and geography and of course uh, that has to be kept in mind so therefore I think I, I would be very happy if Professor Tai wants to elaborate as to what that feasibility report exactly says, which has taken five years to just come by and is not uh, publicly available, uh, not for at least academics like me so far. Um, so yeah. in that sense, I think let us focus on a specific of feasibility and let Professor Dai share if he has seen the report. <laughs> Professor Dai. Okay. Mm. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your comments on this feasibility. You, you see, Professor Swanansin, we have been non-friends uh, for, for the past uh, three decades or nearly. Right. Yes. Uh, to my understanding, it's not only technically feasible, but also commercially viable. We have to see it. We come to the conclusion to be commercially viable from a long-term view, not a short-term. Uh, as we know that Nepal actually uh, can be divided uh, broadly into three ecological zones, the lowlands and midlands 
and the highland. And with uh, rich natural resources in this uh, hydropower and its agriculture products and also its uh, tourism, tourism resources. But this uh, attitude of this uh, Himalaya region ranges from more than 4,000 meters to the highest of, of the worst peak, uh, Mountain Everest. So in order to get a way to solve these uh, difficulties in its uh, transportation, Nepal has been working closely with both India and, and China and other countries to improve its infrastructure situations uh, for the past uh, a few decades. But you see, comparatively speaking, I, I, I think that uh, the highways, uh, uh, highway has some disadvantages uh, if we uh, compare it to the advantage of railway, because the railway has got uh, a very good advantage of carrying more goods and uh, with a faster speed. So this is the reason why I mentioned this aspiration of uh, Nepali people or Nepali government. I stayed in Nepal for nearly three years by working in the civil engineering company. We know that how difficult it, were, it is for Nepali people and Nepali vehicles to travel from Kathmandu by only one highway from Kathmandu to southern India borders. Mm -hmm. And also there are two ways, highways from Kathmandu to Chinese uh, Tibetan Trans regions border, that is uh, Changbu and Kilong, especially in summer re raining season. The landslides always happen. But if we look at the two successful examples of railway from Qinghai to Tibet and from Qinghai to Lhasa and from Lhasa to Chikhechi, you will find that uh, it's uh, very seldom to see these uh, natural disasters. Uh, for example, these uh, landslides happen to the railways. So uh, actually, I think uh, comparatively speaking, it is much better. And secondly, if we have this uh, uh, railway, cross railway completed, Nepal has one more choice uh, for its uh, export of its rich agricultural products through the way of China. And also uh, more Chinese tourists can travel from this railway to Nepal or even to India by this if later this railway can be connected to India uh, railways. So I think that uh, we have to see it from a, a multi-dimensional perspective. Maybe for the short term, yes. Short term. Between China and Nepal is not uh, big enough. But in the future, it, it will be improving. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. In terms of um, the commercial viability Professor Singh just mentioned, I want to share some of my experience for China. Actually, some companies, especially those in uh, Western China, are, are looking forward to the construction of the railroad. I, I talked to a, a businessman from Tibet a couple of weeks ago when attending an event marking um, the fifth anniversary of the establishment of the new International Land-Sea Trade Corridor, which is a part of the Belt and Road Initiative. And he told me, he really hopes his trading company can have closer link to Nepal's market. Because in, in Tibet, um, the population is about 3 million. But in Nepal, it's 8 to 10 times the population of Tibet. And uh, they got similar culture and uh, similar habits or customs. People in Tibet actually really look forward to further or closer exchanges with Nepalese. And the market is something that makes it commercially viable, right? 
Can I have my view, a little sure. bit of my view? Uh, well, um, Professor Singh brought in very, very important point, actually, in terms of commercial viability. That is where I mentioned earlier that this is not a short-run game, this is not a medium-run game, this is a long-run game. Mm -hmm. And that is where uh, Professor Dai also uh, hinted uh, this particular point, right? Um, uh, Professor Singh is very right. I very much agree with you that commercially how viable it is, as of now, given $5 billion over dollars of project, is simply just not viable for Nepal. There could be lots of consequences because of this. But from the perspective of Nepal, there is a overwhelming support and optimism for the project. And well, basically, Nepal, Nepalese people do want to see rail coming all the way from China to Kathmandu and going to the Lumbini, the birthplace of Buddha. What they are interested is to see the rail coming, but they don't know how, the, how it is coming. And that, that's where the, the finance thing, mm. right? Well, most of the people back in Nepal think that, well, okay, China is going to build the whole train all the way up to Kathmandu and to Lumbini by China on ground. Well, I have a big doubt on that. I'm, I, I'll be skeptical if <laughs> that would be the reality. Some part of financing yeah. may have to come from Nepal. So hopefully that is the case, right? So definitely it's a big project, commercially not viable. If you just think of the trade, that's where Professor Singh also brought in the thing. Well, lots of things may mm. come from China to Nepal, but what things can go from Nepal to China? Isn't it? That's a rightly pointed out by Professor Singh. Now, if you look at the numbers, mm. the data, Nepal's largest trading partner is, of course, India, accounting for about 60%, over 60% of all trade, which is around 6 billion import from India and merely about 500 million US dollar worth of exports to India. With mm. that, over 60% of total share, a distant second or sometimes even third is China, which is about 14% of total share. So import so, yeah, over yeah. 1 billion, one, about 1.5, 1.6 billion of imports from China. And we only, only export about 20, 25 million. Very small. That means mm. for both India and China, we have huge trade deficit. So clearly, given 1.5, 1.6 billion of imports from China versus 25, 26 million exports, obviously it's clear. What can we sell to China? Nevertheless, mm. the thing is, of course, there could be a thing that may increase. Now, the over 60% of total trade and 50, 14, 15% of total trade with China, that may change once this particular rail comes. For example, let's say the trade share mm. of India may go down and the trade share of China may go up. Nevertheless, that necessarily is not a lose-lose scenario. My point, my indication is towards Nepal as a transit point between India and China. And this is the point I'm really interested in. Well, we have relatively better connection with the South, that means uh, India, in terms of rail connectivity. So India can sell their products to China via Nepal if we have this particular rail. So yeah. that is, I would say, something like uh, in the next five to 10 years that may be developed in a medium run, that may develop. Yeah, that, that's also yes. what, what the, the turning landlocked to landlinked means, right? Land Connecting to markets. Yeah. So, uh, Professor Singh, that is a kind of thinking I, I'm having, let's say, in medium run. Mm. For in the longer term... May, may I just yeah, add so, one point? May I have a sure, request? Sure, sure. Uh, yes, you are right. Uh, Professor Singh and you mentioned that uh, if it is uh, commercially viable, uh, so that, that's exactly what uh, we're going to improve, the present uh, imbalance of trade, because uh, we know that uh, tourism is a pillar industry of Nepal's economy, and China is the second largest 
source of tourists to Nepal for the past five years. We trust that uh, railway will greatly promote exchanges between the peoples of these two countries. So more and more Chinese tourists will come to Nepal, which by this Nepal can just uh, reduce its imbalance or trade uh, deficit from this. Another point I want to uh, stress is that uh, if we have this uh, uh, cross-border railway, so Nepal can diversify the trade uh, between the neighboring countries. So Nepal can increase its trade volume between uh, China, I'm sure, and so that it can benefit uh, Nepal from China's rapid economic development. Uh, and uh, Nepal can purchase uh, garments, cotton products, cement, steel, and many other goods made in China and more conveniently and cheaply. Similarly, China can buy herbal medicines, copper products, coffees, and other popular products from Nepal. At the same time, Nepal can ship its products to China through the railway and then, then use China's development of very advanced logistics network to ship them to China coastal ports and sell them to other countries all over the world. Yeah, if there's there's a will, yes. there's a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I fully agree. Professor Dai, yes, you're right. Um, the point about tourism, I fully agree. The point about further exports from Nepal, I fully agree. On that point, let me just reiterate that when I said earlier that with this link, rail link, let's say the overall trade share with India may go down and China may go up, that necessarily does not mean that in absolute terms the trade would go down. The overall pie may increase if we can successfully run as a transit point, also with India. This is the, my, my, my very important point that I'm trying to make. So uh, going back to Professor Singh's point on commercial availability, yes, only in Nepalese market would be limited. Nevertheless, if we can channelize it through Indian market as well for Chinese goods and Chinese market for Indian goods, of course, uh, in yeah, India particularly, Uttar Pradesh and uh, Bihar, that is northern part of India, is the like over 300 million million people. That is where China will be always interested. And in China, not only Tibet, actually, once we have this connectivity, it can go all the way to Yunnan, Sichuan, and Gansu. Right? There's a very good. Or Southeast so, Asian countries. Very, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the the um, viability in the very long term. I know there are problems currently with India, China, there are issues. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm an optimist. <laughs> right. And um, basically. <laughs> Basically, I, um, I have this deep, deep feeling that both China and India are peace-living, peace-loving, and war-averse countries by any means. But there are different ways in different, uh, uh, they do their things differently. But at the end of the day, what it matters is we, we would like to have peace. At some point in the future, China knows this. China is a uh, player who plays their game in the, for the very long term, even decades or even centuries sometimes. So from that perspective, my viewpoint is that China is really looking at the long term, really long term. And at some point, China believes that we need to have a good handshake with India and we'd like to increase the trade with India. So um, again, my point is connectivity with Nepal and also to India is very important in order to make it commercially viable. Yeah, we understand that. Much. Right. And Professor Singh, you... So, yeah, thank you. I've been patiently listening to two other speakers, so mm -hmm. give me some time now to respond to some of these points. Sure. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm happy to repeatedly hear the word long term. Let me in a lighter way and say in the long term, we are all dead. Is a 200-year-old technology 
it may not have really long term future in that sense so let us be careful when we talk of feasibility of enormous investments with the ecological geological impacts as to how casual we we can be in terms of uh, looking at feasibility second i am reminded of the fact that uh, i think last year uh, middle of last year when kp sharma oli's government was literally kicked or booted out of power by the supreme court the new uh, leader doiva I heard the clearly said he's not interested in putting any money in this rail and that saw immediately foreign minister wang yi visiting kathmandu and saying china will cover up all the financial cost of this mm. so even the feasibility study that professor tai is still to tell with us whether he has seen that report and what that says is completely financially covered by chinese that's the first point so we have to look at carefully feasibility in terms of chinese estimates of feasibility and nepalese estimate of feasibility Chinese, I have been saying repeatedly, have deep pockets, have determination, technology. They can really deliver miracles. I have no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And if they want to please one single, you know, small business person in Shanghai or Lhasa or Shigatse uh, by enormously building a, you know, twenty billion dollars of a project which will increase his uh, business by a few hundred dollars, fantastic. That is the Chinese decision to, you know, sort of make their citizens happy. But for Nepal. can nepal financially take on that cost even in terms of grants uh, given by you know, the chinese which nepalese leaders have said repeatedly not they're not interested in investing uh, they are happy if china wants to give it as a free gift to nepal then then it is fine you can look at records they've said it uh, fairly in public spaces that's important point to understand that even if financially china was to literally gift it to uh, kathmandu what cost does it still have in that sense uh, for example the kind of uh, relation that uh, india has with nepal and uh, let me say other than voting for electing political leaders or contesting an election to become a politician nepalese have all other rights in india that i have in india as a citizen we have open border with each other it's a very different kind of relationship so if chinese begin to get a free flow even by gifting the railways to nepal Uh, it obviously calls for you know revisiting india nepal relations should we then continuously allow the chinese traffic to use that free border with india that nepal has and uh, flood indian market in that sense uh, so that kind of special relationship will have to change uh, if uh, the, you know that kind of open access nepal has to provide so professor saying you're you're saying if there is any external pressure from um, india nepal would easily no, give up no, its plan that. let us let, let us make uh, it let us make it very clear all i'm saying is nepal has a very unique relationship with india now nepal has no such relationship with any other country and you know unlike some other countries like you know example of laos where china has invested about 6 billion dollars in one rail project when the total gdp of laos is about 18 billion dollars chinese can do that and there are not going to be ever any returns from that project but laos is connected to asia here the only <clears throat> connection nepal has to outside world as he keeps saying the, the person from nepal expert from from expert from nepal is saying the only other connection is indian great economy and we already have examples one after another about hamban tota and gwadar i mentioned which are white elephants china can definitely sustain it i have no problem about it can nepal sustain it i think that also needs to be considered when we talk about feasibility of that railway because i just mentioned between giorong and kathmandu itself the initial cost is 5.5 billion us dollars mm. and uh, yes you know, nepal does have a very people. unique relationship with india but it's also facing has faced some uh, several blockades for for no reason over the past uh, decades so maybe that's why yeah. it's 
what you said about the relationship between nepal and india is very true open border culturally very close and all but having said that there is nothing wrong to extend relationship with other countries including china mm. this is of not course, a zero sum game course. we can we no, can no, no, have no, no, yeah. always very good relations we can further further broaden our relationship along with other countries say, in hand there is no need there is no need, need, need to think about this like zero sum game don't start misquoting me i am never <laughs> saying that nepal has no choices nepal is a sovereign country has a choices to make it has made all the choices it has received 500 million dollars from united states and millennium challenge uh, also so nepal has exactly nepal will do the way right. that we think are the way is good right so uh, the way you are saying promising, the way you are saying is a kind of like saying if, if you do this then we won't be able to do no, this no, for no, you this is kind well, that's what uh, i that that means i got from you no 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 please fully i am i'm only saying that on it's this, a very unique uh, relationship that india has with nepal and once that unique relationship has to be understood that relationship will get impacted upon in case nepal takes that is that a, is that a strange there's nothing strange about it. professor like saying are you saying that the, the concern about the unique uh, relationship between nepal and india has to be taken into consideration when it comes to uh, commercial let viability me, let, let me answer this for example any country that has to deal with china has to stop dealing with taiwan isn't that a standard one china policy that nations follow uh, it's uh, true yeah. so economic relations is different that's quite different political yes. relations in terms of yes, tai- right. taiwan I, we can uh, we can have saying, business and all it's right all i, I think up. that's two different uh, issues i'm only saying if mm. china gets free access into nepal then nepal's free access uh, to india will have to be renegotiated that's all i'm saying okay. nepal has choice to make it can choose what it wants to do but kind of uh, free you know sort of uh, border that we have right now uh, india will have its uh, commercial concerns economic concerns security concerns Uh, and of course we will deal with nepal we'll talk to them and discuss it as to how to reorganize that uh, ultimately nepal will have to follow its own sovereign decisions right But professor course, singh we we understand your point right and um, professor uh, dai uh, professor singh yes uh, you're right to mention that uh, it, this railway should be commercially viable for both uh, short term and uh, long term but uh, i don't agree with one point you have just now mentioned that uh, Uh, you have a unique uh, relationship with uh, Nepal uh, in terms of its this open border. Actually, this uh, open border policy between you two countries, uh, Nepal and uh, India, is a historical issue. Actually, during my stay in Nepal and my visit to Nepal for the past few years, I have reiterated, uh, I repeatedly said that uh, Nepal. should not be a yam between these two giants uh, china and in india it should become a diamond between these two rising economic powers in uh, regionally speaking or globally uh, uh, speaking just like uh, austria or switzerland so uh, i think the poor should look both south and north or even yes. the poor should look global this is my suggestions made just a few years ago during my stay Uh, visit to Nepal. Uh, yes, we have to admit that uh, India has a closer 
uh, historical or cultural linkages with Nepal. But Nepal, if you ask many Nepalese people, of course, uh, they will answer you that uh, Nepal also has a very unique and uh, special relationship with uh, with China. They need to the dream of diversifying their sources of energy and the sources of economic uh, development partners, not only India, uh, but also Mr. China, I think or let, even let, USA, let say, I think we, or even, we are both even on the same some page. other neighboring countries. the same thing. Professor Dai and me <laughs> are possibly saying similar things, except that Professor Thai is talking about, uh, about uh, desirability, about dreams, about uh, future visions. Yeah, because it has the right to develop and to diversify. If we, we, if we think that there is uh, difficulties, oh, okay, you don't develop. You just uh, keep no, 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 relying exactly. on India forever. In, in fact, so that's in not fact, the India, way India, to develop yeah, from the fact, neighboring country. India is involved in building infrastructure. India is involved in building infrastructure projects. Yes, in Nepal. I know that. I know that. I want that Nepal should diversify it. Right, right. So, so gentlemen, I, th I think we've had uh, uh, enough discussion about uh, the feasibility part. So let's leave uh, feasibility for a second and move on to, you know, some other concerns surrounding this uh, project. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. You're listening to The Chat Lounge, and we're talking about the China-Nepal railway plan. A lot of people are, are arguing that this would cause some uh, serious uh, environmental impact in that area. So how I'm not quite sure how much of a, of a concern is that to you, um, Professor Singh? Oh, yes. Let me uh, come in and, of course, uh, mention this. Himalayas, as we know, is geologically still in formation. It is still developing and it's still very fragile in that sense, geologically. And then in terms of environment, it is such serene environment where already because of climate change, some of the glaciers are melting and it is supposed to be, you know, the water tank of this larger region. And any tinkering with those fragile Himalayan environment, I think, will have enormous impact on uh, climate, on environment, on ecology, on uh, several uh, sort of species of flora, fauna there. And uh, uh, repeatedly, people have written about these things that uh, even if this is possible, I keep saying repeatedly, China is very capable in building a railway of this uh, magnitude. There is no doubt about it, except that we have to look at multiple kinds of costs that it would have. And if in judgment of China, the benefits are higher compared to cost, Chinese are welcome to go ahead with it. And same applies to Nepal. If Nepal thinks there are greater benefits compared to cost attached, Definitely Nepal can, of course, go ahead and uh, follow that. I, I don't think that uh, it's a big uh, issue for the ecological problem because we know that uh, Trans-Himalaya region is uh, a highly vulnerable or fertile, technically speaking or ecologically speaking. But in order to build a workable railway, the preparations they need to do is to maintain or to improve its uh, environmental conditions first. Uh, before they can build this railway or to make this railway workable. Otherwise, uh, the railways cannot be workable. I don't know whether uh, you have traveled from or take the railway from Qinghai to Lhasa, from Lhasa to Qinghai. I do. Uh, yeah, I did once. If you travel this uh, railway, you will find that the environmental conditions has been improved a lot because as a result of this uh, construction of railway, before the 
these uh, many environmental disasters, but uh, uh, so after the completion of the railway, it uh, it be maintained and uh, under uh, surveillance uh, of this. Because uh, once you decide to do a thing, you need to have a technical improvement. For example, if you are going to build a house of your own, you need to uh, make some preliminary environmental protection in order to have a good house. In order to have a good railway, so the technicians and engineers, uh, they have the way, have the solutions to protect the environment. Sometimes we need to understand uh, the necessity or feasibility of railway uh, construction from technical perspective, not from a geopolitical perspective. Interesting views in terms of environment. Well, um, I'm not an environmentalist, so I'm not an expert in that. But nevertheless, uh, when this project is being discussed upon, there has been some concerns. That's true. I won't uh, repeat what Professor Singh mentioned about the glaciers and melting of ice and so forth, which is obviously a concern. And the concern that I would like to uh, put forward is the related to ecosystem and biodiversity. In particular, the fact that there are a couple of national parks within the planned routes that we saw in this particular preliminary feasibility study. So there are lots of inhabitants, uh, animals, red pandas, lots of uh, like hundreds of uh, bird species. Their life is going to be impacted. It is true. However, it is interesting to know from Professor Dai that the Qinghai Tibet Railway actually improved the environment. I would like to know more about how it got improved. But nevertheless, if that is the case, I mean, the point I'm yeah. making earlier about the ecosystem and all, obviously within the feasibility study, it is highly recommended to do this environmental study as well. And on the positive side, what I'm thinking is like, um, well, China didn't have much of experience on environment side, let's say 10 years ago. But now, with all the BRI projects that China is launching in different countries and all the environmental aspects that coming back to China and China has been working on that, I think from last eight to 10 years, China has gained quite an experience on this front as well, apart from engineering miracles on the environmental aspect as well. If not great, Chinese experts have gained some experience. So my humble opinion would be to have some sort of scientific environmental study as well in this particular project as well, if it is going to take place. Mm. Well, obviously, as Professor Dai mentioned earlier as well, these are the side effects of the economic developments, isn't it? I'm an economist, so I know very well on these sort of things. These are side effects of economic developments. And all the other countries did this, then all of those already did that. Now it's our turn to get development. Why are we being restricted? Mm. No sort of one voice is there. This type of economists come, come up with this sort of voice as well. But well. nevertheless, uh, my ultimate opinion is, again, a good proper scientific environment related study would be a plus in the project. Mm. Thank you very much. And if the feasibility study goes through, including uh, the environmental aspect, what do you expect to be the biggest challenge this project where the two sides will have to face, Nimesh? Well, uh, as I said earlier, in terms of uh, ecosystem, how to properly uh, move these inhabitants I can think of red pandas, snow leopard, these bird species and all, how to effectively move them to a new place. Of course, certain kilometers wide and length, this project is going to cover their their space. So that is the, from the ecos- biodiversity and ecosystem, I think that is going to be a, one important challenge that we have to face and we need to find a solution. Mm, and Apart Professor- obviously, the big thing is about the what Professor Singh mentioned earlier about uh, melting of ice and all. Right. So that is complete climate change thing. That's a big thing, very big thing in, in the aspect. Okay, the, the ecosystem is what you worried about. Let's see what Professor Dai has mm. got to say about this. You see, I... Notice that uh, right after China made the proposal to build this cross-border railway with Nepal, India 
has uh, also initiated a plan to build uh, a very similar uh, railway from the, the northern India in southern Nepal's border. So if we, yes, in that sense, that cannot be similar it, because, uh, because it's not you, uh, you, it's if not India has the right to make it's decision to build this uh, railway with Nepal, then I don't think that uh, it, that, it is equal for, railway, for you to mention that, that okay, you have to take into consideration you know, of the third parties. You know that, uh, that railway is in Tarai region. I think that uh, maybe the pressure, the biggest challenge uh, is not from the uh, geological difficulty. Uh, I, I think that uh, the biggest uh, challenge were from uh, political or geopolitical pressure from the outsiders. Some countries uh, uh, will never see a faster development in Nepal because uh, I, I think that uh, in order to help your neighboring countries to develop, you have to overcome some problems, including financial problem and the technical or geological uh, difficulties because a friend in need is a friend indeed. Nepal should have the right to develop. I still got one question, uh, maybe this one to Nimish. We know that uh, India's ambitious um, high-speed rail path has suffered setbacks, and it took Japanese contractors uh, five years to build only 10 kilometers of railway. Could a similar scenario occur in Nepal? Uh, sorry, I'm not very clear about your question. Can, oh. you, say, can you repeat it again? Did, did you mean that um, the type of uh, setback that India had with Japanese project in high-speed train, exactly. uh, similar sort of thing may happen in Nepal as well? Yes. Um, that is very actually possible, actually, uh, in a sense, I would uh, like to go with the viewpoint of Professor Dai in terms of geopolitical aspect here. And to very extent, Professor Singh is also indicating uh, on that point that there could be pushback from India for obvious reasons, right? They have diff different interests. Uh, and we, we have to understand Indian interests as well. They will do it. And we have to understand that. They will push back for India. And given the current uh, rising tensions between U.S. and China, Thereby, U.S. is trying to have their foothold in Nepal. U.S. will be very happy to step in and create all the issues around the project. And obviously, one of the biggest narrative that the Anglo-Saxon media has been selling is that on the trap, isn't it? So that is the thing that they, time and again, they may come back, actually, including like several projects that Professor Singh mentioned earlier and including this one as well. So that trap is, a, again, an Anglo-Saxon narrative is a story certain Western politicians, scholars, media would like to sell. And I would say to some extent they have been successful as well in selling their story. Obviously, one of the biggest examples is that of Sri Lanka, of Hambun Thotapur. That's, that's what Professor Singh mentioned earlier, which is clear. If you look into Indian media, if you look into the Western media, one of the main things they always put forward is because of Chinese debt, Sri Lanka is having this problem. Clearly, it's not the case. No. Again, I, as an economist, I can clearly see that Chinese debt in Sri Lanka is actually much smaller. Similar yeah, thing only if, talk, if similar thing if I talk about Nepal. Currently, Nepal's total debt, in, in total debt, 30% of the debt is coming from either World Bank or ADB. So majority of debt is currently from World Bank or Asian Development Bank. If we think from the perspective of the countries, it's Japan, around like just over 4% uh, of debt is coming from Japan, followed by China, around 3 point something, and then India. Well, of course, the debt from China is increasing in the last four or five years, or even a decade. Let's say, for example, it's increasing by 2% in early 2010s, whereas it is increasing by 3 or 3.5% in late 2010s or 2020s. That's happening. But debt trap thing, personally, I do not buy this narrative. 
Going back to what Professor Singh is mentioning, is a sovereign decision, sovereign nation's decision on whether you'd like to go for the project or not. There's nothing like China is forcing you, China is putting gun in your forehead and asking you to take it. But what I can think of is like the implementation may go wrong if the project is planned poorly. And that is where all this feasibility and viability things coming uh, uh, comes as well. Therefore, uh, the key is a well-researched feasibility study with for the viability of this uh, project. Uh, that is what it is going to be the uh, key thing for this project. So in terms of challenges and in terms of uh, setback, this geopolitical friction and the selling the story of debt trap could be a major hurdle. The, what about the domestic politics of Nepal? Would that be a key issue? Well, it's interesting that Professor Singh has been indicating earlier that governments from both the major or three major political parties, time and again, is saying that they would not like to invest money, which is not 100% uh, wrong. That is true. As I mentioned at the beginning or towards the middle, that majority in Nepal would like to see that rail coming in, but they don't know how it is coming. So forget about the financing part. From the purely the dream, the aspiration that Professor Dai has been mentioning, from that perspective, regardless of any political party, any domestic politics, we would like to see train coming in, rail coming in, in Kathmandu, all the way up to Lumbini. Thank you. And the last question, actually. Some people argue that uh, the railway may become a white elephant, citing the high cost of transportation. So how valid is the argument? I want to start with um, Professor Dai. I think that uh, this question will come to the right point uh, for the uh, beneficiaries or gains uh, both Nepal and China or even um, the neighboring countries can get uh, from this uh, cross-border railway. I think that uh, with the completion of the, or with the construction of the railway between China and Nepal, I don't think that it is a white elephant. Because as I said uh, previously, that uh, it can uh, diversify the source of trade for Nepal. And it also can make uh, Nepal become a country from a a landlocked country to a land-linked country to connect with the Chinese proposed Asia railway or infrastructure network. So with the more and more Chinese tourists and more and more Chinese goods to export to Nepal or via Nepal to India, or India exports to China via Nepal, we will see that a very big gain from this regional countries. So because we have to see a thing from a long-term perspective, if we only see from a short term, so we stop to do anything, nothing can be done. Because uh, otherwise, uh, Nepal will lose the opportunity of uh, development uh, for another 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. If we wait, if we keep waiting until everything is perfect, no country can be developed. The experience of development for these successful countries such as the USA, Great Britain, or even Japan, or these emerging countries. So they have to learn from the development. You learn experience while you're developing. You cannot wait until everything is perfect and then or you declare it okay. Otherwise, you will never get the chance, the opportunity to develop your country. Right. Uh, very briefly, uh, Nimesh? Uh, yes, uh, thank you. White elephant could be, right, if we just follow short run and only follow Nepalese market. This is one of the key messages I would like to give. I, mean, from, I started 
like the, with this message and I would like to end with this message that we have to have link down as well. That means at some point, let's work for the betterment of the relationships. You know, it's extremely difficult. Geopolitical things, extremely complicated matter. But the direction we should be heading towards is to have a reconciliation in the relationships and hope that we'll have a beneficial cooperation. In that sense, it is not going to be a white elephant. Indeed, this project will benefit a lot if we have links from down, that in South India, and links to up, that is north in Tibetan region plus other parts of China. Last but not least, Professor Singh. Thank you. I think you're asking me question whether this rail from Shigatse to Gairung to Kathmandu to Lumbini will be a white elephant. Mm. I think yes, except that Chinese are very capable of maintaining white elephants. They have maintained it in Gwadar, they have maintained in Habantota. And if you look at uh, the past history, uh, Indian economy has not connected itself with either Gwadar or Habantota. I would love to see India and China become great friends of each other uh, and do things together. But history doesn't show us that way. So I don't think Indian economy is likely to connect very easily with that real if it comes from Shigatse to Gairung to Kathmandu to Lumbini, and which will make it a white elephant for me, but may not be white elephant for Chinese. They have deep pockets and can maintain these facilities, except that the world will see it as driven not by commercial considerations, but by strategy considerations, which would fully justify enormous investment. Chinese are very capable of doing that, and uh, my best wishes to. Chinese and uh, best wishes to Nepal for getting a free gift because they are not going to invest into it, neither they are going to invest in managing and maintaining it. Uh, because again, Hamantota and Gwadar are examples where even management and maintenance is done by Chinese. If Chinese can invest billions of dollars in building a project, they can constantly also subsidize and give free tickets to Nepal to ride on those trains. Thanks, but uh, I think the word white elephant was created uh, in the context of uh, Indian culture, right? But uh, anyway, thanks a lot. We'll have to find it out um, after this project um, is in place, maybe. And uh, concerning Chinese people's environmental awareness, uh, Professor Singh, I, I do sincerely invite you to visit um, the Qinghai Tibet um, Railway and uh, see it for yourself. And in China, we say if you want yeah. to get rich, build roads first. And this philosophy is also what has guided China's development since its reform and opening up. Maybe that could be a lesson for other developing countries to borrow. And we do hope the Trans-Himalayan Multidimensional Connectivity Network can benefit people living on both sides of the Himalayas, not just the Nepalese, not just the Chinese. And on that note, we come to the end of today's chat. Many thanks to Dr. Swaran Singh, visiting professor of the Department of Political Science, University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Professor Dai Yonghong, Dean of School of Foreign Languages and Institute of Area and International Communication, Shenzhen University, and Associate Professor Nimesh Salik from the International Business School, Suzhou, Xi'an Jiaotong, Liverpool University, for your insights. And you can leave a review for us either on the topic or on the show. Please subscribe to The Chat Lounge for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Mm-hmm.